HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at hearstranch.com. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a full-service marketing and commerce platform that helps restaurants get discovered, make more money, and engage their diners. Join over 8,000 restaurants already using Bento Box today to deliver better hospitality. Visit getbento.com chef today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com chef. Hola, mi gente, familia, como están? Uh, welcome to a beautiful another episode of Cooking in Mexico from ADC on Heritage Radio Network. We're really excited. Uh, this is the beginning parts of season four, um, and we are so privileged and honored to have a wonderful guest joining us that's going to talk about this concept of Mexican charcuterie and la cocinera uh, and, and, and a loganiza chorizo y bufería. And we're going to do a really deep dive here about the idea of what Mexican charcuterie means, um, how it's going to be established and get more recognition. And we're really honored to have Mariana Barrera, who's going to be joining us here. She has a wonderful, uh, what would you call it, Mariana? Is it a, a butcher shop? It is, what would you What would you say that you do? It is a charcuterie. As, as such, um, we actually, we used to have in our name like Umo y Sal and then Taller de Charcuterie Artesanal, which basically means a charcuterie mm -hmm. workshop in an artisanal form. So it is just charcuterie because we don't actually do all of the butchering ourselves. Gotcha. So it's just the, the processing. Okay. So, so the idea is that you have a retail store. Is that what you guys do? Or do you have, uh, is are people able to purchase your, your wonderful creations? We don't have a store for ourselves. We do do deliveries, um, but we sell through other people. So we sell to restaurants and we sell to other stores. So instead of going for me, I will tell you where in which store you can pick up our stuff. Um, it's worked easier for us. And what kind of products do you sell? We do uh, everything from, I mean, mostly sausages, bacon, of course, because bacon is pure gold. 
Um, we also do jerky, but not the American type of jerky. It's more similar to our typical carne seca, which is a lot drier, but it is condimented enough. We also do mustards. We have four types of mustards. We also sell honey. And I'm probably missing something, but I think that's basically the gist of it. How did you start in this industry? Is it a family business? Uh, are your family ganaderos? Uh, do they start, you know, uh, as cattle ranchers? Or how did you get into this idea of beef and curing meats and all that wonderful stuff? The thing with uh, charcuterie in my family in particular is my dad is hunter. All of my father's family, all the men are hunters. So everything we do now, we actually didn't start with beef or pork. We actually did it uh for deer, so venison. Um, so these are things we made at home. I grew up with these things. Um, and then at some point, it just became natural to transition into actually producing it and selling it, but obviously in meats that we can actually process and actually sell because venison you cannot sell in Mexico. Oh, really? So it has to be. Yeah, it's regulated. Uh, in Mexico, you cannot sell anything you hunt. It has to come from a traceable form. Yeah, like an FDA, mom. Yeah, you can't. If I, if I shoot a deer, I can't serve it in my restaurant in the States, you know? So what do you do with all those creatures you kill? You eat them and you share with friends. You consume them in family settings, mom. Not <laughs> for a commercial, not for a commercial uh, uh, benefit, mom. That's what, that's what exactly. Mariana's trying to say, and I'm trying to say. <laughs> I know, basically. <laughs> so, where do you get mentored, right? So, I understand if you're like in France and you go to Leal, and there's this wonderful market where they're like. They're slaughtering the animals in front of you. That's a natural transition. But how do you get trained? It It's not that easy because there weren't a lot of charcuteries. Like, I mean, you have the big industries that do all of the sausages and all the things that you get in, this, in the supermarket, right? Um, but when we started or we, when we want to start, I actually traveled with my dad through other charcuteries in Mexico, like, but mates, uh, a lot of them just do chorizos or a lot of them just do sausages or a lot of them just do very, very local things. So we traveled around, we looked at what was available and we were like, there's nothing like exactly what we want. Uh, with the flavors of where I'm from, which is the North, it, it, you know, Mexico has very different profile flavors depending on where you are. So what ended up ha uh, happening is every time we would go somewhere, even if it wasn't in Mexico, it's like, okay, so what charcuterie is here? And we would just ask. Um, so it, let's say you, I went to Austin with my family and we would go to maybe places like Salt and Time. And since they were doing the same things as us, it's like, hey, we were having these, these issues. Have you encountered these issues? And usually people that work in charcuteries are very nice and very open and they will help you out and they will give you the information so that you don't make the same mistakes that they already made. Because a lot of charcuterie is just basically a trial and error type of situation. So you read, you research, and then eventually you're also going to mess up whatever you're doing and you learn from it and then you do something new and eventually it comes out beautifully that's basically you know it. i was looking at alejandro's uh what's his name honey ricardo surita yeah Muñoz surita yeah. Yeah. he has like every every state has a their own longaniza yeah. and every state yes and every state uh seasons them completely differently you know, there was one particular longanisa that I love, and I have been hiding the recipe 
that I finally got is the, the Longaniza Verde. Mm-hmm. You know that one? I do. Um, for, for example, for me, my favorite Longaniza is not something that I can even get here. There is a Longaniza in a town called Valladolid mm-hmm. in Yucatan, which is like super, it's kind of thin and a little bit dry. Um, and that town is just basically known for for that longaniza, <laughs> like that's what you go for to eat that specific thing. Yeah, but you talked about you, you talked about the beautiful um, the longaniza, but there's a chorizo verde famous from Toluca, which is wonderful. I know. Uh, I think if we're on that sort of that that sort of trip, I love it because the idea of I remember having those little tacos de, de chorizo verde with papa loquelita on the side as a palate cleanser. And you go there and it has all this wonderful albahaca and spinaca and all these wonderful little herbs in this chorizo verde. So do you do you gather inspiration, Mariana, from all these different parts of Mexico that do certain styles like chorizo de bola, you know, all, all the different styles? We do. And we've tried a lot and we actually done mm. a lot. And then you have to trim it back down and be like, my region does not want this. Yes. <laughs> so you end up doing the flavors that your region wants because that is where you mm-hmm. are. Um, so we did do a chorizo verde once and we were so proud of it because it was beautiful. We took it out to the market and then it's like, mm. yeah. like, no, just it's, it's not popular. Yeah. So we, you need to cater to your own people. Yeah. It, I know it sounds weird, but that's that's just the way it is. At, at my restaurant, I used to force people to have like things that they didn't want. But I don't like <laughs> the like, Oja Santa. Remember when Oja Santa came on the menu? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mom. And I used to serve it like a taco, like an enchilada, wrapped cheese and and squash blossoms in it, poblano, and mm-hmm. serve it like that with a salsa. And and I would say, well, that's too bad. You 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 yeah. l- learn to like it. Mm-hmm. And so, and sometimes people do actually learn to like things. For example, we used to make uh, riet, mm. uh, which is a very French yeah. thing, and it's beautiful. You cure it first, and then you make like a confit, and then once you do that, then you just basically whip it up and make it into this beautiful pate. But it's just it's a riet, mm. and it's one of those things that if you explain to people what it is, they wouldn't want to try it. So when we first started selling it. We didn't, we didn't even put a name of what it was. We just put a sticker on top with a little pork on it. And that's how we used to sell it so that people were willing to try it. And then after they tried it, then we would be like, so this is what you're eating. Yeah. And um, you serve it with a so tocopo that- or like a little, a little taco or something to get it more sort of combined into the Mexican vernacular, no? I would imagine or something like that. How would you sell something that's so new? You'd bring in traditional flavors to it, right? Yeah, I mean, we... As long as it has an, in Mexico, a lot of flavors are basically onion, garlic. And as long as you have those flavors, everybody's going to be like, oh, this is like love. Yeah. Right? Or chile. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, with chiles, you do have to be careful. Some things actually do go with chile and some things don't. Mm-hmm. Um, even though we are Mexican and we, we want to put chile in everything, mm. it doesn't. It shouldn't always be there. Yeah. So you have to balance it out where you can and where you can't actually put it on where, there. Where, where, where can't you? Where can't you? Um, I'm trying to think, but actually <laughs> I think most of my things actually have chile. Um, hams, probably. The hams that we make are yeah. simple, pure, basic hams, and that we would not put a chile. Gotcha. But basically... Bas- I mean, do you do in the style like... 
18 month cure, 24 month cure? Like, how do you do? Do you do hams in this in a traditional style, just covered in salt, and then let go, or how do you? What some of the different styles of shakur do you do? For example, we do not do long term like a serrano because our weather does not permit it. Where I live, it's super super mm -hmm. hot, and if I were to do that, I would basically just have to have basically big refrigeration chambers and it's a waste of energy and it's not i don't think it's worth it there's other people that do it beautifully mm -hmm. right in the south of mexico you have uh people in san cristobal las yeah. casas that area gets super cold and they actually make really good jamón mm -hmm. serrano so that i will leave to them because their weather allows them to do that right um so for us most of the things are shorter term the thing I think we make that takes the longest is copa. Mm. And it's one of those things that... What, what is it? Copa is the... Cabeza de lomo. I don't know what it's called. It's, the hombro. It's like the, 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 the back shoulder, like the butt, mom. Uh, like what yeah. you call a pork butt, you know, but for... And it's... Uh, yeah, the copa. Yeah. Is, is it smoked? Mm -hmm. it, it's not smoked. It's cured. Uh, it's matured basically. So you have for that one, you have two processes. At first, you cure it with some herbs and salts. Then, after probably two weeks, depending on how that meat behaved, uh, you will rinse it out, put on some other flavors, whatever you actually want to cure it. In the end, you wrap it up and store it for three to six months until it decides to be ready. Wow. And when I say it decides to be ready, I really mean it decides to be ready. Uh, it's a weight thing. Sometimes they lose the weight that you needed to lose in three months. And sometimes it takes four months because meat, even though it's the same thing and it's the same process, it doesn't behave the same mm -hmm. because it came from a different animal. So you have to be attentive to the way it is behaving, right? Um, but yeah, every, most of the things we do are, are shorter terms. So, so the ham we make, for example, takes a week to cure, and that's it. So it's a week in brine. When it's ready, we take it out, we put it in the oven. You can either smoke it or not smoke it, whatever you want. Um, we also do, for example, the bacon. The bacon takes between 10 and 14 days to cure. Mm -hmm. And then again, you can either smoke it or not, or you can hang it and make a panchetta out of it, or... Like, it's your choice after you cure it. What do you want to do? You want to smoke it? You don't want to smoke it? Like, it's versatile in whatever you want I to do. I love this. I think thing. this is so cool, Mariana. Because the idea of having charcuterie in all the different styles that have not come to the surface. And then, of course, you, a young woman, doing this and breaking down all the stereotypes of the machismo and meat and all that. I love it. Especially for Monterrey where you guys kick ass and there's a, the tradition of cabrito, right? Um, are there any of those sort of elements of the cabrito and that style of cooking that you incorporate in your charcuterie or no? Or Cabrito is one of the most popular dishes, uh, but it's one of those things that is now, I think it's more known in outside of Monterrey and everybody that comes from the outside expects to actually eat cabrito. But if you live here, you'll probably eat cabrito maybe two or three th times a year. It's not like an everyday thing. Why? Because you need to buy the full cabrito. And maybe in your house, there's only three people and you're like, that's a lot of cabrito for three people. So it's not going to be an everyday thing. Um, but the flavors that we do use a lot is obviously smoke, right? Smoke is... Uh, Monterrey is very carne asada kind of thing. I, 
I would say barbecue as in like American style, but it's not because we don't use sauces for it. You just basically use salt and pepper and that's your carne asada. So it's pure earth flavors. Like it's not that elaborate, just simple, basic things. Salt, pepper, a lot of time cumin because cumin <laughs> in where I live, cumin and oregano are 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 our thing. If you ever come to Monterrey, basically everything you eat will have cumin and I've been many times. They might not tell you, I love it. but that is what you will eat. Like even frijoles, they will have it. <laughs> or if you're going to eat uh, calabacita con puerco, which is mm, this beautiful homey dish, like those are the flavors that come out. Um, but yeah, the, I think it's more when you eat something of ours, you will see that it comes from this region, even though it is kind of like a tropicalized version of whatever is anywhere else. Um, like we didn't create anything. We we are following what other people have done. Charcuterie is not something new. Uh, it's been here basically centuries, thanks to basically the conquista. The Spanish brought with them the pork, and with the pork came charcuterie and chorizos and everything else. Um, but obviously, we don't use just the Spanish flavors. We use what we have here. So it's a combination of what the Spanish brought with obviously the people that conquered Spain at some point before. So everything is like historically intertwined. We are this big melting pot and that is how we got our food. I mean, same as basically <laughs> everywhere else. Exactly. Thank you, Mariana. You're awesome. She's well read, huh, mom? <laughs> yeah. We, we, you mentioned chapas earlier. And when I started doing research long, long time ago, there was a cookbook, the chapas. And the first part of the book it's all different types of ovens to make charcuterie and smoke things. Mm. I have, I, I have, beautiful. I have to find it. I see if I still have that. I've been looking for it ever since we booked you, so that I will be able to talk mm -hmm. to you about it. And one thing that doesn't really has anything to do with us unless you do duck confit, is that you know James Osland, who used to be the editor in chief of Savour Magazine, just wrote a book about. He has a series of, 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 of books. He did Mexico City. And then he did Paris. One of the items that they have there is a, is a salad made of ground up duck confit. That's beautiful. Yeah. So it's like a salpicón kind of thing. Well, it doesn't really have anything, but it has that possibility. It, it has. It's, they serve it with asparagus. So I can't imagine, you know, because I, I would want something that would be kind of acidy, you know. Like nopales, probably, mom. Like a nopales, you know, to con to combat that. I would agree, yeah. right? Something, yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. That was over the fat, too. Absolutely. In the heart of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, Lilia combines wood-fired seafood, handcrafted pasta, classic Italian cocktails, and warm hospitality. Since 2016, it's been celebrated as a neighborhood gathering place, bringing the best of Italy to New York City. Lilia is one of over 8,000 restaurants that leverage bento box to power their digital front door, including their website, gift cards, event management, and more. Bento Box is a marketing and commerce platform built specifically for the hospitality industry. With Bento Box, get discovered, 
make more money, and engage your diners so you can deliver great hospitality both in person and online. Visit GetBento.com slash chef today to learn more and get your first month free. That's GetBento.com slash chef. Hearst Ranch is a proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. The Hearst family has been raising cattle on the rich, sustainable native grasslands of California's Central Coast for over 150 years. Piedra Blanca Rancho in San Simeon is the original Hearst Ranch, founded by George Hearst in 1865. George's son was the famous publisher, William Randolph Hearst. In addition to being known for building the iconic Hearst Castle, William was, like his father before him, an avid rancher. In his words, I would rather spend a month at the ranch than any place in the world. Thanks to one of the largest land conservation easements in California history, a joint effort with the California Rangeland Trust, the American Land Conservancy, and the state of California, the working landscape at Hearst Ranch will be preserved forever. Learn more about Hearst Ranch at HearstRanch.com. So when you start to develop new charcuterie, what is the process, Mariana? Is it one of the things that you, you let the animals come to you or the cuts of, of cuts of beef or animal come to you and then you start to develop that? Or do you come up with a concept and say, I'm going to do copa or I'm going to take something that's European based and maybe uh, sort of integrate that with a Mexican sort of lens? Like how, how, how does that process happen for you and your creativity? It varies a lot. Sometimes it's we read something and we want to try mm-hmm. it. Sometimes we're watching TV and we're like, that that looks mm-hmm. good. Um, so we, we make it. And other times it's what muscles do you have and what you make out of it. For example, um, there are things we make that we don't promote that we are making it, but it, they're byproducts of the things that we make. Mm-hmm. For example, we have bacon lard, right? Um you know, we cook with lard for everything, right? And when we make our bacon, when you cook your bacon, a lot of the fat comes down. Now that fat is beautiful. It comes out like pure white. It's basically very, very white lard. And it has that bacon flavor, but it's still lard without all of the work of actually getting lard. Um, so it's it's that that thing, for example, came as a byproduct. But a lot of the things we make are... We like to eat. I, I would love to say it's because we have like this divine intervention, but usually it's we like food. So whatever you crave, you kind of mess with it until it's something that you like and you want to eat. For example, I'll give you the example of the time that we made our chorizo. We do uh, the chorizo that we we make uh, in our company is loose chorizo. Um, most of the time, chorizo is actually uh, stuffed. Right. You have uh, small ones, big ones. You have very thin ones. You have very thick ones. And, you know, like the hand style, for example, like that, the Luca chorizo and so on. Um, But where I live, even though we do have that and we do have the stuffed one, we use the loose one more than we use the stuffed one. That's the one one. I made. If we can make the distinction really quickly, because I think people think in in, in the Western uh, sort of tradition, they think of sausages not having raw meat that's seasoned. And in Mexico, we have a raw product that's put in a casing. 
Someone. Which is very unusual. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about that. Is that process. the multifarra? Is that the multifarra? No, no, mom. Just like, like, like you know, like, like the chorizo we grew up with, like the, your, your mem- memas chorizo, which is a raw product that is equal beef, uh, uh, a pork, ground beef seasoned, and then put in the casing. But it's not smoked. It's not cured. It's not hung. It's fresh chorizo, fresh sausage. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that difference, please. It's it's not that different. Actually, sausages and chorizo are basically the yeah, same thing, except they have a little bit of vari- of variance. Let's say uh, if you're going to do a traditional sausage, you just need like the meat, the the part of the, the meat thing, and then the fat, whatever you're going to use for fat, and the spices, you mix them up, you stuff them in, and then you either smoke it or put it in the oven or put it in a pan or whatever, and you're going to actually cook it. When you're doing a chorizo, the process is exactly the same. You grind your meats, you have the meat part, you have your fat part, you have your spices. Usually, uh, since our, the influence comes from Spain, you have paprika or you have pimenton. And you have, since you're in Mexico, chiles, right? It's it's our basic thing. The difference is, again, as you said, you're not going to smoke it. You're not going to cure it. You're not going to put it in the oven. It's going to preserve itself in vinegar, mm-hmm. right? Now, the Spanish did this with wine. Wine, you can use wine. It's basically vinegar if you leave it out. (laughs) Or you can use vinegar, whatever vinegar you want. So wine vinegar, regular vinegar. And and the vinegar is is what's going to keep it in this pristine state. That means you can leave it out. You don't have to put it in the fridge. You can leave it out and it's going to be okay because it has vinegar. So vinegar and salt are like magic for chorizo. That's the way it works. Now, if you, we were in Spain or we were in Italy or we were in someplace else, their weather allows them to mature that chorizo. That way you end up with a chorizo that's sliceable, right? You can eat it slice by slice. In Mexico, we don't have that type of weather. It's a lot hotter and we have a lot of variety. So we have places that are super dry, places that are super humid or places that get super cold and then super hot and then super cold. So you have to adapt to that. That means you cannot leave it out for that long. You need it fresh. So fresh with a little bit of dryness or fresh with no dryness at all. That is absolutely your choice. But it's, again, vinegar preserves it. You leave it out for a day or two. Chorizo is also one of those things. They cannot eat it the day you make it. It needs time to meld all the flavors together. That means you need the vinegar to do its job. So if you make it on day one, you can eat it maybe on day three. I mean, you can eat it on day one, but it's not going to be the magic that it should be. By day three, it's going to be magical, and you're going to be like, "Yes, this is the best chorizo ever." So that that's basically yeah. The, no, we know this. We're just trying to explain it to our listeners. <laughs> so, like the idea. <laughs> so, when I ask you these questions, it's more about yeah. Please give us all this enlightenment because we need it for everyone to hear it. You know what I mean? Because I think it's beautiful yeah. the way you just portrayed it. That was a great description. Well, let's let's imagine that somebody's going to go to the supermarket and they're 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 not going to find sausage. They're going to find longaniza. Okay. Would that be accurate? I mean, in most supermarkets in Mexico, I mean, you find longaniza and chorizo. Yes and no. Uh, longaniza <laughs> is basically also a chorizo, but longaniza is a lot thinner. Oh, really? What? So it, it, it's, uh, chorizo can be like in a pork tripe, for example, which is, is a little bit thicker. And the longaniza is usually, again, thinner. Um, also, longaniza, as with chorizo, is by regions. Where I live, longaniza is not a thing. 
I like longaniza, but in Monterrey, not a thing. Mm -hmm. we, we we do chorizos. But if you go to Mexico City, there's longaniza. If you go further to the south, there's also longaniza. So we know what it is, but our region does not cater to yeah, I don't know mm. the food of, of, Monter of Monterrey. I don't know the food there. Have you been, Mom? No. Oh, I've been many times. There's, I mean, there's great chefs like uh, Memo, Memo Gonzalez, who's been doing it for a long time at Pangea. The food there is amazing. Um, and I love Monterrey. It's one of my favorite places. So, yeah, but it's it, it's it's a region in Mexico that I think in, 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 in Nuevo León that people don't know a lot about the food, right? And how would you describe that a little bit? We are encased in this thing. Uh, Monterrey is known, again, for the cabrito and carne yeah, And everywhere else in Mexico will think, like, we don't have proper cuisine. We do. It's just the cuisine in in the Northeast is homey food. So it's not something that you were gonna, you're going to see in a restaurant. Our typical foods are things that have to do, again, um, there's a lot of pork that we use. Uh, like calabacita con puerco, asado, picadillo, things that are just, you're going to get at home. So you, they're not fancy things. They're things that are will make you feel comfor comforted. Mm -hmm. So we have things that are also by by uh, it's in specific times of the year. There are this calabazas. I forgot the name of calabaza in English. Um, squashes. Squashes. There's there. Yeah, there's a there's a particular squash that is grown in this area in this region that they dry it out and you end up with these orejones de calabaza. So dried calabaza, right? And then you make a soup with it. Now. This is one of those dishes that if you don't live here or near here in like a rancho nearby, it's not a soup that you would ever try because it's not famous for anything. It's just local soup. They do that in Sonora too. Yeah. They're called bicicoris. At the, at the end of the season, you dry out the yeah. big zucchinis. Because you have to make them last. Exactly. I mean, the, a lot of the things I have to do here is you need to make food last. Also, the charcuterie, for example, is one of those things that that's why we have charcuterie, to make the animal last. You already killed the animal. You're not going to eat it all today or tomorrow or this week. You need to stretch it out. So charcuterie will do that for you. And then your family, like, do you have what traditional people do, you know, if you have like a... a um, like a like a sotano or like a basement where you would cure and put your pickled vegetables for the season. Did you grow up with that tradition or is that something that, you know, your abuelos did or anything where you'd have like a little lower part of your house where you would cure stuff? We don't have, ba I mean, people do have basements. We, we mm. don't. Um, we do pickle things. There's obviously a lot of... Um, our grandmothers used to make a lot of jams, marmalades, uh, things with the fruit in season. Um, but we grew up more drying meat yeah. and drying um, fruits and vegetables. So, for example, for me as a kid, I know this is probably strange for a lot of people. But for me, my lunch would be dried fruit with chile, with tajin, mm -hmm. right? That my mom would make for us and dried meat that my mom would make for us. That was my snack. Instead of taking a sandwich to school... That's what I would take to school because that's what my mom made for me. With the years, I've come to understand that that is not the norm. Yeah. Um, that 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 was just my house. My mom would make a bean sprout salad because she didn't want her kids to get fat. <laughs> 
So we would have like only fruit because my mom says, mis hijos no van a estar gordos, you know? So, you know what I mean? So we, we, we kind of dealt with that. So I, I feel your pain, you know? Right, mom? I didn't make beans sprout things, but I did watch your diet very much. A little bit too much. <laughs> a little bit too much. You know, I suffered a lot. I, I, I used to, we used to suffer a lot from, from, you know, from, you know, my grandmother was a, not about our weight, you know, so you grew up feeding fat all the time. <laughs> I didn't realize how pretty I was until I was 50 years old. And, and, and then it only lasted 20 years. So. Mom, stop it. You're beautiful from the day you were born, Mama. Thank you, stop. baby. I know. Igual que tu, mi Mariana. That's wonderful. And you know, she, so, plays the, she plays the bandoleon. Is that what you play? I play the bandoleon and I play the cello. Yeah. Wow, that's um, awesome. I, I keep myself entertained. I love it. I love it. So what is it? What is the goal, Mariana? What do you want to do with your with your family business, with your business? What is the next steps? Are, do you want to put Mexican charcuterie on the map? Do you want to grow it? Like talk to us a little bit because this is your opportunity, you know, for all our listeners and our supporters for you to be able to, you know. For charcuterie wise, we do. I mean, we do want to grow it, but not to that extent. We like that it's local. Um, we like that we cater to our own people and we like that we do it things naturally. So a lot of our clients come to us because we don't add stuff to it. And what people don't understand is we don't add things that shouldn't be there because we are purists about it. We just do it that way because it simply tastes mm -hmm. better. Um, so that is more than selling anything. That's the message that we, we want to spread that we, if you keep food simple the way it should be without adding a lot of industrialized things to it, then the flavors that our ancestors used to know and the the reason why they loved food is still going to be there if you treat the animal with respect, with the spices that it should be, and give it the time that it should take to do these things. Um, what we do is not an express thing. It's not something, most of the things we do are not, if you make it today, it's not going to be ready today. If you make it today, it's going to be ready in two weeks, three weeks, in a month. And beautiful things sometimes take time and that is okay. You just let it do its thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's more kind of a message. We have actually taught uh, other people to do things. Um, a lot of people now here make Gravlax, for example, which wasn't known at all. And now everybody's like, oh, we make it. We invented it. And we're like, we didn't invent it because we didn't either. Like other people that actually, you know, Salmon is ready for them. They, like they, they probably created it because... We don't get it. Um, but yeah, we don't. Uh, business wise, I mean, it would be great, obviously, to have this big, humongous company at times. And then at other times I'm like, I don't want a monster of a company. I want a nice company that I'm comfortable with, that I like and makes good food and makes people happy. Good. So that is my goal to awesome. make people happy with what I make. Um Business-wise, what we actually sell the most, and this is probably going to sound super weird, but we the thing we sell the most is mustard. Mustard is my <laughs> best seller. I love it. Super Mexican. And, 
<laughs> yeah. I, the, the thing with mustard is it wasn't something we, we wanted to make. It was something that we created so that people eat the sausages the way we wanted them to eat them. You cannot tell people to not eat ketchup, for example. So we would have used, uh, when we started the company, we would go to events, right? Or things like Cine en el Parque, which they would project a movie and we would sell the hot dogs and whatever. And every time they would ask for ketchup, I would get annoyed. You can't tell them that you're annoyed, but I would get annoyed because like, I made this effort to make this beautiful sausage and you're ruining it with ketchup. So we made a mustard. Is there, is there a, a hot dog that's characteristic of Monterrey? Um, probably the sausage that is most eaten is this horrible sausage, which is like a red sausage that people buy to oh, with the put in yeah, the, yeah, yeah. when they make yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, that is probably the one that is sold the most. Uh, it, horrible, it's a thing. Horrible. Um, it's horrible, but it's very widely sold. Yeah, and, and, and Chris Cosentino, great guy, you know, who had a. Uh, a chef from uh, from California that I know, he had a T-shirt that called "Lips and Assholes" because basically, <laughs> when you had when you had like a sausage, it was basically the lips and the assholes of of a pig, and it's like to, to that yeah. point of that red sausage, it's it's probably what you're having the byproduct of not the fun bits, you know. I mean, the thing is, it tastes bad, but it's such a ingrained flavor. Mm -hmm. That you don't mind it when you yeah, eat it. Yeah, it's yeah. it's one of those things like you know it's so bad that it's good. Yeah. That that's kind of how how it works. Um, but yeah, I mean, probably for typical things, there's also things like queso de porco. Yeah, I, I love that head cheese. I love that head cheese is beautiful. I well, I and it's head cheese is actually one of those things that is actually made in all of Mexico. That is probably one of the few charcuterie things that doesn't change a lot. Because there's not much you can do to it. The process is the same. You have to cook the thing. You have to let it set. Probably the spices will change. And it's also a very homey dish. It's a dish that you can just eat it whenever you want. Have you ever had Scrapple, Mariana? No. Okay, Scrapple is something they make in, in Pennsylvania where they take a bunch of different like pork product and they put cornmeal and they make these little cakes with it. <laughs> Oh, that sounds lovely. So I can totally see a Mexican version of Scrapple. I'm just throwing that out there. I want you to do the research because really a I neat little research. dish that they do in Pennsylvania. And it's like, it has like Amish roots and has all this really cool stuff. But it's basically slow, like riets, but mixed in with cornmeal and you make these little cakes. So just that to throw it out beautiful. there. Yeah, Scrapple. Talking about, about red sausage, I mm -hmm. read today in when I was doing research uh, for this program, that most of the, the sausages in Mexico are colored with achiote. Mm. Yes, it's a good coloring. It's it, it will give you a yellow red color, and that's kind of what you want for most things. Um, I, people like to see pink and red things, so that's what you give them. <laughs> Basically, that's what they're used to, and that's what you. I mean, you can do it in a natural way without adding artificial it. things, and achiote is one way to do that. Um, I mean, you still obviously have to use nitrates anyway, not for chorizo, but for sausage, you do have to use nitrates. So let's describe what nitrates are so for, for our listeners. Um, it's basically a thing that will prevent you from getting botulism. That is the purpose of this thing. It's basically a salt that will kill bad bacteria so that you don't die. 
it's kind of a weird way of putting it. Um, it's a natural occurring thing. You can find it in celery. If you eat celery, that thing has the nitrates that you can eat in the sausage, except one comes from a vegetable and the other one is probably industrialized. But it doesn't really matter. They work exactly the same. You can either add celery to your sausage or you can add the nitrates by themselves to what, the sausage. Would it be citric acid? Um, but there is a purpose for them. Would citric acid work for that? Uh, no, it has to be nitrous. Otherwise, the coloring will not be the right color that you need it to. Also, it's also required. Like the Secretaría de Salud will actually come mm -hmm. to your shop and check that you have nitrates added so that people, again, will not get sick and die. Uh, when you um, grind your meat, right, that meat is instead of just having one surface that can be contaminated, now you have all of these surfaces that can now be contaminated, right? So historically, when you would put that in a casing, all of those little pockets of air are possible areas for you to get sick because anything can grow in those areas, right? So what the nitrate does is not allow yeah it doesn't allow bad things to grow on there so that way it's safer for everyone so it's basically a thing you need to add for food safety outstanding it's not bad for you and you're not gonna die from it you again unless you'd like a kilogram of it which you're not gonna do um <laughs> you use very very little of it like it's not it's I mean, anything you you eat in excess is going to kill you, right? Even water in excess is going to kill you. So as long as you don't do it in excess, you are fine. Exactly. And and Mariana, while we're on this, because we're we're running out of time a little bit, sadly, but how can people engage with you? How can people say, "I want to get your beautiful product sent to you and shipped around"? How how do people engage? Uh, we, I mean, we have social media, so anything at Umoisal is basically us. Um, Umoisal, obviously in Spanish, it has an H, a silent H for the Americans, but wait, there's an H. So Umoisal, Facebook, Instagram, uh, emails, anything you write at, uh, umoisal.com will get to me. We have a catch-all, thankfully. Um, so yeah, oh, that's, that's a good the idea. way you approach us. Basically social media. It's good because people mistype things. So anything catch all, you can write x at umoisal.com oh, and I will get that email. Thank you because you get messages and you could come in and messenger, you could come in and WhatsApp, you could come Facebook, and you never, you can never find anything. Yeah. So it, yeah, it, any of those things work work for us. Wonderful. Well, muchísimas gracias, Mariana. Thank you for inviting me. It's been it's been a pleasure. This has been super nice. I was super nervous. I will admit. <laughs> Why? Um, um, because you are super knowledgeable, you know, a lot of things, you have this big, long trajectory, you've written cookbooks, which is actually something that I'm doing with my dad. We're writing a cookbook for hunting, uh, the way you need to process all of the, the, That's the, very cool. the pieces and what you can do with all of them. Um, we've been a year writing this thing and it's not ready. It's going to take longer, but I look up to you guys cause you've, you've been through it all. So, and thank Did you. Did you already sell the book? No, we are basically in the writing process. And I, I suggest something that because I'm writing another proposal right now, you, you, the most important mm -hmm. thing is to write a really good proposal. You know, with, with a okay. really good proposal is like an introduction or an overview that's like 18 pages because it's very, it's very rigid if you want to sell in the United States. It contains an annotated table of contents and then a, a sample chapter. Okay. You know, so that's, that's what I brought. Any information, I'm always available. And Sarela, you know, we have my email. 
I'm always available. You can call yeah. me. I'm really happy to help in any way. And the same thing with me, Mariana. You know that, right? Thank so I'm the you. second generation. Yes. So I'm, I'm here just following her footsteps. You know, he's, but... he's, he's hipper than me in some ways. No, stuff. I'm trying my best, Mom. You know, but the, the, what, what Cooking in Mexican for me to see this beautiful podcast on Heritage Radio Network, I want to say, is the idea of bringing to light all these beautiful experts and, and, uh, and the new generation and maybe the old school generation to remind everybody that we are bringing people here that can only uplift Mexican food, ingredients, and culture. And that's really what Lo Que Se Trata, uh, you know, this podcast, what, what it's all about. So we're, we're, we're really uh, pleasured and honored to have you here, Mariana, uh, for your presence. Yeah. And, and it's so good to see uh, a young, young chingona mexicana doing it. And, and and taking this, yeah. And my mom, my mom loves that because you know we, all all the women, you know, Mexicans that are doing their thing, we love that. So, it's a big part of our of, of our vision. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is powered by Simple Cast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without your support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Entrañas